perhaps the finest golf coach America ever produced, was the late Harvey Pennock of Texas. He wrote the Little Red Book, which is sort of like the golfer's Bible. And in it, he said that most golfers don't think on the golf course. They just worry. And worrying is a misuse of your mind on the golf course. He wrote, whatever your obstacle, worry will only make it more difficult. Worry causes your muscles to tense up and, well, it's impossible to make a good golf swing when your muscles are too tense. So rather than worrying, he said, be mindful of the shot at hand and go ahead and play it as if you're going to hit the best shot of your life. And you really just might do it. <laughs> as I say these words, it occurs to me that this is great advice about life, not just about golf. Indeed, they remind me of what Jesus said about worry. The truth is most of us worry too much. If some heavenly computer would tell us how many days we've lost or spoiled because of worry, I think we'd be astounded. When I talk about worry now, I'm not, I'm not referring to, to a healthy concern which leads to action. No, our definition is that worry is chronic fear that produces nothing positive. It's kind of like driving your car with the emergency brake on. You're not getting anywhere fast. You know, many of us worry about crime. Why? Well, almost every day we read about robberies of banks or homes or convenience stores. And there are some constructive things we can, we can do about the threat, like jo joining a community watch group or installing a burglar alarm. But just worrying about it is useless. Or we might worry about terrorism or inflation or the global economy or the, or the pandemic. But if we don't do something constructive about it, our worry is useless. But the truth is most of our worries are related more to our personal circumstances. Consider a, a few true life examples and I'll maybe see if, if, maybe see if you resemble any of them. <laughs> a mother refuses to attend any of her son's football games because she's worried about a possible injury. Now her absence doesn't protect him one bit, and her worries steal from her some precious memories which she could always share with her son. Or consider a man who worries constantly about his wife's possible unfaithfulness to him, though she's never given him any reason to doubt her. She is an attractive woman who in her work comes in contact with lots of men. Her husband's constant worries fueled by his own insecurities, destroy trust, and they interfere with his wife's career. And finally, the marriage fails, a victim of worry. Or consider a lady who has been disgustingly healthy for over 20 years, but hasn't enjoyed a day of it. She reads medical journals constantly and imagines herself having every symptom. Finally, her many years of imagined illnesses lead to a real one. Or consider the fictional farmer who is frugal and hardworking. In eight out of 10 years, he made a good profit, but to hear him tell it, he constantly teetered on the edge of disaster. If the crops were good, he feared low prices. If the weather was bad, he feared crop failure. 
the poor man enjoyed misery in farming for over 40 years. Jesus urged us not to worry. He saw three things about worry that make it destructive. Worry is irreverent, irrelevant, and irresponsible. First of all, worry is irreverent because it presumes that God cannot be trusted, that he might not be sufficient for us. And yet Jesus pointed to the lilies of the field, how beautifully God adorns them. And he asked, will God not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so whenever we catch ourselves worrying about anything, we should immediately rebuke our worry and confess it for the sin that it is. As we do so, we receive God's forgiveness and the strength to begin again a day without worry. Now, worry is also irrelevant because it doesn't help or improve anything. Jesus asked, can you, by worry, add a single hour to your life? Well, can you? <laughs> no. The answer is no. Years ago, when our son was in high school, one of his friends worried that he would not be tall enough to promote his aspirations as a basketball player. Sometimes he was even critical of his parents for not giving him taller jeans. Yet for all his worry, his actual height was not affected whatsoever. Worry is also irresponsible. I mean, it, it burns up psychic energy with only negative results. Worry is interest paid on trouble before it's due. One renowned psychiatrist even claimed that that there's all kinds of maladies that are often related to worry. Arthritis, asthma, ulcers, skin rash, a coronary thrombosis. <laughs> and there may be worse sins than worry, but none is more disabling. So when Jesus said, don't worry, he didn't mean that we should be unconcerned or lazy. Jesus used the birds as positive examples. Now, they're certainly busy workers. Nor was Jesus decrying responsible provision for the future. You know, one of the differences between animals and humans is that we have a harder time discerning what a, a reasonable provision for the future looks like. Squirrels, for example, they're storing up food for the winter right now but I don't see any squirrels in my backyard that exhibit anxiety about whether or not they have enough. I mean, you don't see a lot of stressed out squirrels wringing their little paws over whether they'll have enough nuts for the winter because they're too busy collecting nuts for the winter to do that. Yet we humans rob today of its joy by fretting about whether we have enough stuff for the future. Now, don't get me wrong. All of us should save, we should have insurance, we should make reasonable plans for our latter years. But if you ask any financial consultant to tell you just how much is enough, they'll tell you it's almost impossible to know. We cannot make provision for every possible contingency of the future. And even if we could, well then, then we might cease to live by faith. God will help you to know what a reasonable 
provision for the future looks like and just how to trust him for that which you cannot anticipate. So if worry does lots of harm and no good, let's get rid of it. (laughs) But how? That's the question, right? Well, by exercising our trust muscle. (laughs) And that's the big challenge. Now, the good news is that Jesus gave us a two-part prescription for worry control. So here it is. First, make God's business your top priority. In the scripture just prior to our text for today, we find Jesus saying that no person can serve two masters. Either God or something else will be supreme. Now, in verse 33 of our text, Jesus advises, seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, allow God to have top priority in your life. Just imagine what it would look like if we were more concerned about the lost souls in Crystal Lake than we are about how our favorite stocks are faring. Just imagine what it would look like if we were more concerned about the homeless population of McHenry County than we are about the size of our next promotion. If God is the acknowledged Lord of our lives, if his agenda is our top concern, then worry is reduced. Why? Because our focus is on God's business more than on our own. And our energy and our effort is put into expanding God's kingdom rather than our own. So what is that business? Very simple. God's business or mission, if you will, is to redeem and restore all things through Jesus. Colossians says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In other words, God wants his world back. (laughs) He wants to redeem it. He wants to buy it back from sin and death and the devil. God wants all things made new, the ends of the earth saved, all things reconciled to himself. This is the mission of God. This is the point. (laughs) And everything else, well, everything else is simply a means to that mission. Everything, the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus, are means to the mission. The word in sacraments, means to the mission. Discipling, following Jesus, it's a means to the mission. Our churches and worship services and all our programming are means to the mission. Even our giving to fund the mission and the use of our time and talents to serve the mission, all of it, everything is meant to be used by God to make all things new that all things be reconciled to the kingdom of the Father, that all things be redeemed and restored. That's the point. That's the mission of God. You see, Jesus didn't save us so we could sit on the bench and run out the clock until we die and then go to heaven. No, he saves us for getting off the bench and joining him on his redemptive mission every single day of our lives. And then to show our children and our friends and our fellow church members how to do the same thing. 
Let's make this our top priority and there will be no time for us to worry. Now, the second part of Jesus' prescription is this. Just focus on each 24-hour day. Now, I know you've heard this before, but we forget it so often that it bears repeating. In verse 34, we read, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, how do we live in a day-tight compartment? Well, let me suggest three simple steps. First, start the day with God. Set aside at least 15 minutes early in the day. Start it off by repeating Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know, maybe have a short devotion. Read a little scripture. Just thank God for the day and and dedicate it to his glory. And then remember your baptism and God's promise that he's always with you. That means the Holy Spirit who lives in you can be fully trusted to provide you all the resources you need today to live victoriously. Secondly, touch base with God periodically throughout the day. Now, it could take the form of what I might call a a red light prayer, just little prayers that you can whisper with eyes wide open, like you should do at a red light. (laughs) Maybe when you're about to talk with a customer or just before boarding a plane or, well, when you've got a really tough decision to make. That's what St. Paul meant when he advised us to pray continually. Now, it's amazing what peace this can bring. As the prophet Isaiah wrote, God will keep in perfect peace that person whose mind is stayed on him. Now, the third key to living in a day-tight compartment, just end each day with God. So before you go to sleep, say, thanks, Lord. Thanks for walking through this day with me. Thanks for helping me at whatever critical point you had. And then say, if I've wounded any soul today, if I've caused one foot to go astray, if I've walked in my own willful way, please forgive me, God. And then ask for a restful night of sleep and say, Lord, if you see fit to give me another day tomorrow, I'll take it gladly. I love you, Lord. Amen. Now to close, let me say this. I read about a man who lived in one of the the most isolated corners of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Now, life was hard, and every day, his little hillside farm was at the mercy of drought or wind or cold. And yet, he was about the most serene and deeply contented man that his pastor had ever known. So one day, the pastor asked the old mountaineer if he had ever had any troubles and if he had ever spent sleepless nights. Well, sure, I've had my troubles, he said, but no sleepless nights. You see, when I go to bed, I say, Lord, you have to sit up all night anyway. There's no point in both of us losing sleep. (laughs) You look after things tonight, and when tomorrow comes, I'll do the best I can to help you. (laughs) Remember Jesus' prescription for worry control. First, make God's business your top priority. And secondly, just focus on each 24-hour day 
and let tomorrow worry about itself. My friends, nothing can happen tomorrow that you and God cannot handle together. No, let me rephrase that. There's absolutely nothing that can happen today or tomorrow that God cannot handle, including your salvation. So let's have less worry and more trust. Begin flexing your trust muscles today. Amen.